Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 29 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. Got a great show for you today. We are going to be talking world juniors, specifically Team USA announcing its camp roster. I've got Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald on the podcast today. To help break down the U.S. roster, 31 players named to it. They will have to get that down to 25 before the World Junior Championship on December 26th. And really looking forward to bring you that conversation with Brad. Uh, but first, hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. If you're an American, if you're not, hope you had a great last week because uh, I had a great Thanksgiving. Got a chance to go to the Waterloo Blackhawks annual Thanksgiving game. The 50th time that they have contested a game on home ice on Thanksgiving night. It was a great experience. There was also a teddy bear toss, and I didn't miss Thanksgiving for it. My in-laws live in Waterloo, Iowa, and it was great to be there to experience that great tradition. I have a story up on it on Hockey Sense on Substack, so please do check that out. But we are going to focus a lot today on the World Juniors and also a bit on college hockey because, of course, Brad Schlossman, one of the best reporters covering the college game today, and he's actually seen a lot of the guys that were named to Team USA's roster. I've seen, you know, I was at World Junior Camp this summer. I've also watched a few college games and watched plenty of them on video this year. So I've, we've, we've each seen a lot of these guys live and can give a little bit of insight. So really looking forward to that as Brad joins me for the third time ever. And every time he's been here, it seems like people really enjoy it. And yes, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, we will talk about Jake Sanderson, which seems to be a very popular topic because, of course, Brad covers the University of North Dakota on a full-time basis and has a front row seat to uh, the Jake Sanderson show. But anyway, a lot to talk about today. The calendar has turned to December, which means the focus just completely shifts to the World Juniors for me. It is one of the most visible prospect events of the year, and the buildup to it is so fun. A lot of questions, a lot of different things that come in. Uh, we answered a few questions that I got today about some of the roster decisions that Team USA made. We will talk about players that didn't make it, um, talk about some of the guys that did, some of the surprises and things of that nature, but a lot to talk about. Always fun to do it right here on Talking Hockey Sense, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that. But before we get to the interview with Brad, I did want to remind you that if you want to help support this podcast, please hit the subscribe button. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and a written review wherever you get your podcast, so that we can help promote this, get it bet bigger and better. The more people that do that, the more it moves up the charts and the more opportunities we have to be seen by a new audience. If you are, have a friend that's a big hockey fan that really likes to get in the weeds on the nerdy stuff and the, the prospect stuff, uh, please let them know about this podcast as well. That does a huge service to me. If you want to take it even a step further and support this podcast financially, you can go over and get a little something for yourself as well at hockeysense.substack.com. That's Hockey Sense with Chris Peters, where all of the written content is, and you can also find this podcast on that website every week as well. But if you do get a premium subscription, you'll be able to read the full player-by-player -player breakdown of the U.S. camp roster. It's something I used to do at United States of Hockey blog way back before I was at ESPN and CBS Sports, and really how I started my career was around the world juniors. So I've always kind of, this has kind of always been my thing. So if you want really in-depth um, coverage of the World Junior Championship, 
I will have some at Hockey Sense, and I will also have some at DailyFaceOff.com because I will be going to the World Juniors this year covering uh, the, the tournament at large and the prospects there for Daily Faceoff, but also a lot of USA-specific coverage for Hockey Sense as uh, kind of an homage to the United States of Hockey. I will be in Red Deer for those games. Fingers crossed that everything goes okay. I know things are getting a little bit tense again on the COVID front, and we're trying to and hoping that things will get better. But once again, if you do want to subscribe to uh HockeySense.Substack.com. It's six dollars a month, fifty-four dollars a year, which basically saves you uh, three months worth of of monthly fees. I'm so thankful to everybody that has signed up for it. That has you know kept me afloat. I am still producing content there. You get weekly stuff, and and this week in particular will be a heavy content week because I'll have a USA roster breakdown and a Canada roster breakdown, um, which I don't always do, but I decided to do that because I know I have a lot of Canadian readers as well uh, on Hockey Sense, so I'm I'm trying to serve both there, um, and and being able to cover prospects as I have certainly have seen a lot of those guys. But before we get to all of that, I want to bring in my good friend, Brad Schlossman. Uh, We are going to talk about World Juniors. We're going to talk about the players. We're going to talk about men's college hockey because we're in a strange time of year. You know, December is a little bit weird. You know, there aren't as many games. You got finals and winter break and all that stuff. But it's a great time to reassess. So we do that uh, in the podcast this week to talk a little bit about the things that we've seen, the trends that we've noticed, the surprises of the season so far because it's been a really entertaining college hockey season on the men's side, uh, but a lot left to be decided. So without further ado, so excited to once again, the first ever three-time guest on this podcast, my good friend, Brad Schlossman of the Grand Forks Herald, talking world juniors. I'm very pleased to be joined once again by the first ever three-time guest of the Talking Hockey Sense podcast. He is Brad Schlossman from the Grand Forks Herald. You can read his work there. One of the finest reporters covering college hockey in the country and anywhere because basically it only exists in the United States in this particular way, but glad to have the best. Brad, welcome back to Talking Hockey Sense. Always good to be here, Chris. Yep, and the first three-timer beating the record co-held by Corey Pronman of two. Um, so we've got a new number one, and uh, I, I would say that Brad is probably my personal favorite as well if we're talking about those two people. Just kidding, Corey. <laughs> I like you equally as much. Um, all right, so anyway, Brad, we're going to talk about a, a bunch of different things today. The first thing is that is just fresh news that came out Tuesday afternoon. We're recording this on Tuesday after it came out, um, and you'll be listening to this as early as Wednesday. So um, most of this should not be outdated at that point. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit. We've both been reporting on the Omaha Lancer situation. We'll just talk a, a tiny bit about that um, because I did cover that in my last podcast. And then we'll talk about college hockey, men's college hockey, uh, the season that's been so far through the first two months of the season, kind of what we've learned. But we're going to start it with Team USA. And there are 31 players named to the roster, four goaltenders, 10 defensemen, and 17 forwards. And if you're looking at the list, the strength is clearly on the blue line for this U.S. team. And you've had a chance to see two of the players that are going to be returnees to the team. You've actually seen multiple of the players because Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota was just in Grand Forks. 
Um, you know, this is going to be the strength of the team. Jake Sanderson, very clearly the number one defenseman who you get to cover on a, a regular basis. Tyler Clevin, a returning player who very likely could play a bigger role in this year's tournament. And then, as I mentioned, Brock Faber. Um, recently, there are a few others from the NCHC as well. Um, but I'll just really very before I ask you a question, really quickly run down. The, these are the 10 defensemen named to the team. Sean Barons, Brock Faber, Luke Hughes, Wyatt Kaiser, Connor Kelly, Tyler Clevin, Ian Moore, Scott Morrow, Jake Sanderson, and Jacob Truscott. And that is a formidable group. We think that there will probably be two cuts. But for me, for Brad, you know, just as you've been watching, you've seen Jake Sanderson grow. I mean, it looks pretty obvious that he's going to be a massive minutes eater for this U.S. team. Yeah, I would expect that. Uh, I thought he played well last year on that team, and now he's a year older and can, uh, you know, take on that leadership role. You know, I, I think there's a good chance he'll wear the C on that team. Uh, he was the captain at the U, uh, NTDP U18s uh, when he was there. And uh, I think he's a guy that can kind of do a little bit of everything for you. He, he defends extremely well. Uh, he can, uh, you know, generate a lot of offense based on his skating. Uh, he's very deceptive at the blue line. Uh, when he gets the puck at the blue line and uh, there's a defender attacking him, I have no idea what he's going to do. You know, most players kind of have some of their tendencies. Like sometimes he might fake to the middle and go outside. He might fake outside, turn it to the middle. He, he could dump it in deep. He could, he, he could shoot it. Like he's, he's unpredictable. And I think that's what makes him really difficult to defend when he's in the zone. And uh, you know, even, you know, he's the type of guy who can, uh, you know, gain the blue line uh, himself and, and skate it through uh, the neutral zone. And, you know, just a, a guy who can kind of do it, do everything. Um, and I, I think he'll, be a, a big impact guy for for the U.S. at this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He's probably the the clubhouse leader to be the captain. I think it's between him and Matty Beniers, um, another returning player who's uh, you know yeah. also a, a you know major leader. I'm sure both of those guys, nonetheless, will be wearing a letter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know, on top of how good he's been offensively, I still think that Jake and- Sanderson is one of the elite defenders. Um, and, and another guy who I think is one of the elite defenders in college hockey is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. Um, you know, you just saw Minnesota come in. UND got a split with them in the last weekend. Great rivalry between those two teams. Um, but, you know, as you've seen Brock Faber up close uh, and certainly as a returning player as well, I mean, I, I'd anticipate that there's at least an opportunity there with him being a right shot defenseman that, that in key situations where Team USA needs to stop, it very well could be him and Jake Sanderson on the ice. Yeah, I could definitely uh, see that. You know, I, I think up here on Saturday, he had a bit of a tough night, but, um, you know, I've seen large enough sample size of him to know that that was a bit of an anomaly. That is not the, the case. So, you know, I, like you said, as a right-handed shot guy, he would seemingly fit in well uh, with Jake Sanderson uh, on that pairing. And I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see both those guys with tons of ice time in this tournament. Yeah. And so, the breakdown, there are only three right shot defensemen that made yeah. the team. Um, and it's been an imbalance that that a lot of teams have been dealing with. The, the right mm-hmm. shot defenseman is an increasing rarity in uh, that seems like an oxymoron, an increasing rarity. But it's it, it, it's becoming more rare that that you have right shot defensemen. So we know for sure. Well, we don't know. 100% with positivity, but there's probably going to be a few, a lefty or two that will have to play their offhand side. The three writings in camp are Brock Faber, uh, Scott Morrow, and Ian Moore. Now, Morrow's a bit of a wild card. He's a former UND commit, went to UMass. Easily the most, uh, you know, uh, b- between him and Luke Hughes, one of the most skilled 
overall defenseman on the team. Defensively, there's enough questions there where I'm like, you know, can you trust him in the in in every situation? I'm not 100% sure that you can yet, but I do believe that there is um uh you know, he he's he's a, a different enough kind of player that you could potentially see him in this role. So I think he will make the team, especially since he had such a great camp. And because you, there are 25 players. It used to be that there were 23 players named to the roster, but because of COVID and everything else, they expanded the rosters to 25. So you get three goalies and 20 and, and then uh, 20 skater or sorry, 22 skaters, which is a, a really good position to be in because then all of a sudden you get, you know, you can move your lineup a bit. So I think that that, gives uh, Moro an inside track on being on the team. But then you've got guys like Wyatt Kaiser who can play on either side, who I think will play a significant role on this team. You know, Connor Kelly also from both those guys from Minnesota Duluth, quality defenders, um, you know, with good mobility. But, you know, based on uh, the guy, so since you've had a chance to, you know, with covering the NCHC, seeing Minnesota Duluth, I mean, you know, Wyatt Kaiser is a guy that I think, I expected maybe a little bit more from this season, but it's not like he's playing poorly. He's playing very well and huge minutes as well. Um, and you also had a chance to see him play basically an hour's worth of hockey um, uh, in that five overtime thriller last year uh, in the NCAA tournament. So just w- from your personal experience, what do you think Wyatt Kaiser could bring to the, to the team here? It's kind of funny just looking at the roster of D, how many guys I've seen in just the last month. Yeah. Bear- was here uh Faber was here Kaiser uh Kelly was out so he he wasn't here but you know obviously Clevin and Sanderson too yeah uh you know Kaiser I think he's a lock for the team you know he's he's been playing as a you know Minnesota Duluth's top defender and um all situations uh the Bulldogs lost quite a bit of offense from last year's team and probably not a team that's going to score as much this year so uh, if his numbers are down, that might not necessarily just reflect his game. It probably reflects a bit that Cole Kepke's gone and Jackson Cates is gone and um, the, the Nick Swainy's gone. And so, you know, their puck's not ending up in the back of the net as often. But uh, obviously, they've been a very, very good defensive team again. And, uh, you know, he plays a big role in that because he sees a lot of teams top uh, forwards. He, he plays some big minutes for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I pulled up his instat um, uh, <coughs> stats just to, to cause they do uh, essentially uh, an estimated ice time based on their video tracking. And in that last game that he played against North Dakota, 27 minutes and 22 seconds in a regulation game, you know, mm-hmm. I, that is that. Yeah. And, and that is a, when you see a close score line, you know, that Wyatt Kaiser's minutes are going way up. Um, mm-hmm. He has not played fewer than 19 minutes in a game this season. Um, and one of, and, and in both of those instances, um, actually in one of those instances, it was a blowout. And then the other, um, he, he had some penalty minutes. So that also brought his ice time down a little bit. So, you know, he's, he's a really unique talent. He's a guy that flies under the radar, Chicago Blackhawks pick. Um, uh, but he'll be interesting to watch. I'm really fascinated to see, uh, what Luke Hughes is going to bring to the table, because mm-hmm. I think that he's been even better as a freshman than I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be one of the top freshmen in the country, full stop. I think he's one of the best defensemen in the country right now. Based on what I've seen, he's producing at a relatively high clip, obviously overshadowed by Owen Power, who probably between him and Jake Sanderson, there's a really good debate as who the number one defenseman is in the entire country. Um, And we will see Owen Power on Team Canada's roster. Mel Pearson telling my good pal Mike Morial that there are 
no uh, lingering issues of allowing players to, to go to camps, even though the they're not going to be a month long and cause guys to miss eight games like last year's was going to actually was like two months long and they, yeah. they quarantined anyway. And I I'll maintain that. I think that what ended up happening with Owen power, not going to the world juniors, that was in his best interest for protecting him as the number one pick because he didn't miss those games. He otherwise would have is while sitting in a hotel room quarantining. So it all worked out. Uh, but Ian Moore is another guy that had a really good camp. Um, I, I just mentioned Luke Hughes. You talked about Sean Barron's who I think, he did not have a good summer camp. He didn't look like he was in the mix, but he's been outstanding for Denver. Um, he does a little bit of everything. He's five foot ten, so he's actually the smallest defenseman on the roster. Mm. But his mobility, his intensity that he plays with, um, and his ability to to move the puck, I think are all things that Team USA very well could use. And and maybe he's played his way onto the team. Yeah, I think there's a good chance he has, and and I, and I think it speaks to you know, maybe the USA hockey selection, he's, uh, he's really overshadowed Shai Buyam early this year. And uh, I, I know, I think Shai Buyam going to be a really, really good defender for uh, Denver come down the line. But at this point in time, uh, Barron's has been the guy that has uh, stood out for, for the pioneers early this season. And, you know, like you said, he's smaller, but he sure can add a lot. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think the battle on, on the back end is, is going to be probably end up being like Truscott, Barons, um, Connor Kelly. I think those are the guys that ha- are, are going to try and be duking it out for one of those last spots there. Um, and two of them won't make it. Um, so, but Truscott had a very good summer camp and has played very well for Michigan. It's just a matter of, you know, how much are you going to ultimately play him? Um, and, and I don't know that you necessarily will. Were there any, um, we talked about it a bit off, off air, but you know, you had mentioned that maybe one of the surprises for you to not be there, or one of the surprises, at least that I've seen on Twitter as well as Jack Pert, not being there, uh, St. Cloud state defenseman, um, you know, not, not involved, uh, in the, in the roster here. I didn't think he played very well at the camp. Um, and then this year, I think he's been okay. Uh, in the little bit that I've seen St. Cloud, I don't know if you had any, uh, any thoughts about him. Yeah, I'm actually going to see St. Cloud this weekend. So, yeah. um, you know, that'll be my first uh, collegiate look at him. I, I, I really liked his game in Fargo. Uh, I thought he played very well for the force. Um, but, uh, this might be one of those situations where, you know, you talked about USA's blue line being the strength and they have so many players, you know, uh, off the top of your head, you know, you say, I, you know, I can't believe he's not there. Can't believe Shai Buyam's not there. Uh, some of these other guys who are pretty high end guys. And then you look at the roster and it's, well, yeah. I mean, where a- does he fit? Right. Yes. Yeah. What's that? And it's yeah. like, where does he fit? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that speaks to USA's depth on the back end more than it does these specific players. Cause I, I think both those guys are real good players. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there is such a difference between being a good prospect and being a credible world junior candidate um, because being a good prospect. And I think that Jack Pert is, he's a second round draft pick of the Minnesota wild. You know, I think he's, I, and he did play very well for Fargo last year and he's been adequate. I mean, but you also look, you know, he's played 10 games this year and as a, as a guy that, you know, can be a, a solid offensive player, he only has seven shots on goal. 
Um, oh, you know, and six, that. so he has six points and seven shots on goal, which surprised the heck out of me when I looked it up, um, because he's such an active player, yeah. um, you know, and, and so that was, but, but, but the thing is, is that being on the world junior roster doesn't mean that you're not a good prospect. It just means you're not ready right now. And you, mm-hmm. you have to be at such a high level at this point of your career. And when you're at your draft, teams are drafting you based on what you're going to be five years, yeah. you know, three years down the line, three or four years <laughs> down the line, the world junior team needs you to be good right now. And so yeah. that is, that is the difference. And I, and I think, you know, I think Pert's summer camp probably hurt his overall chances. They still looked at everybody. They were out scouting everybody. Um, they still found players that even weren't in camp. Dominic James from Minnesota Duluth is one of those players. And I, I you know, I ran into John Van Beesbrook at the, at the, the, the icebreaker. And he's like, do you know about this guy? <laughs> he wasn't like that. I'm just kidding. He's, yeah. it was more like, he was more like, you know, this, this is a guy that we got to get on our, you know, get on our radar here. And sure enough, Dominic James is on the, on the camp roster um, and, and plays with a lot of jump, but, but that's the thing. It's like, it, you know, it's also, where do you fit in the roles? And it's for, in Jack Pert's case, who do you take out? There's not a single guy on that roster that I would say he's got to go. Um, yeah. You know, and I think, it's a credit to guys like Sean Barron's like Scott Morrow, you know, that, that, have, that, that had, you know, Morrow had a really good camp and he's been adequate to, to really good at times for UMass. Um, so that'll be interesting. All right. We got to move on to the goaltenders next. And um, this is the weakest goaltending crop that I can remember since I've been covering USA hockey. Um, and this, you know, I was thinking back, like, there were times, you know, Thomas McCollum probably had one of the, 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 the lesser heralded uh, and, and, and rightly so performances in a world junior. And he was a first round draft pick. So everybody going into it was thinking, wow, these guys, well, USA has uh, Drew Camesso, who's the only drafted goalie coming into camp. Kadem and uh is a, in a platoon role in the USHL right now in Lincoln, Luke Pavisic, who I didn't have, anywhere on my radar, not because he's not a good goaltender. I've heard his name. I've, I've heard, you know, there's a lot of people that like him. He's currently the backup at UMass and has not played a single minute of hockey that counts this year. Um, it has all been Matt Murray, their senior. So apparently he practices very well, but, and he was a good goalie in the North American league last year, had a close to a 920 save percentage. So, you know, he's, 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 he's played. And then Dylan Silverstein, who is the goaltender for the under 18 team is in the mix now as well. Um, so four goalies, they'll take three is my understanding. Um, and I think Camesso is the only one that's a credible starter at this point. And he has struggled at Boston university. So, I mean, we've been covering college hockey, the world juniors and everything else. How bizarre is it to look at this and see, we've only got two college goaltenders on there and one of them hasn't played a game yet. It's, uh, you know, I I think coming into this, I was curious what their goaltending situation would be like. And when I, uh, you know, I was wondering, are there going to be some names that pop up that I just didn't come to my mind right away? Like sometimes, uh, I, I don't do, you know, quite the deep dives that you do on this. And the guy comes up, I'm like, Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Like that makes sense. Like I totally gapped that out. And I saw the, I saw the list today and I said, no, I, I, I didn't gap anyone out. No. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, no, it's, yeah. it, 
It's tough. It's tough. And I, and I'll tell you, like, you know, I think you look at it, you could say maybe Tucker Tynan who was in camp, um, but he's got a sub nine save percentage in the OHL. Aiden Campbell has not played. Um, then you've got uh, Braden Holt, who was the third goalie on the under 18 team last year um, for the world championship. He's been in a platoon role in Everett and Everett, if you are a goalie for the Everett Silver Tips and your save percentage isn't above 920, um, then something apparently is wrong. But he's he and it had been he's he's just under 920 at this point. I, I don't want to I don't mean to disparage that because I think Braden Holt is a good young goaltender. Um, but, you know, that's that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about and this is coming off of Spencer Knight. You know, and you look at the legacy of the USA Hockey World Junior goalie and the Jack Campbell and John Gibson and, Con, you know, like, uh, you know, Connor Hellebuck, I think it was even like a backup, you know, back back when he played. So a lot of stuff going on there. Um, but the goaltending clearly not going to be a strength. Uh, we'll see what Drew Comesso can do, as I think he'll probably be the only guy that really gets uh, uh, an honest uh, an honest opportunity to be the number one. So I mean, that seems like a, a you know, it, it just seems like Comesso is clearly going to be the guy. He's right. Played- minutes at a higher level than the other guys this season and it, but yeah I mean that's going to be something to follow and it, you know it, it probably comes at a good year that this happens to be a really strong group of defenders and and they might be able to protect him pretty well yeah absolutely I think that that is really there's there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of onus on the defenders to make sure that they are given their goaltender a chance. And, and, you know, Drew Camesso too, I don't want to, I don't want to despair second round draft pick a legit, you know, he's not had a good season, but last year he was very good. He actually was supposed to be on this team last year, but because of COVID protocol at BU, he had to miss and they had to bring in Logan Stein almost on an emergency basis out of Ferris state. So um, this is just kind of the nature of the beast here. And, you know, you go from, Spencer Knight and Dustin Wolf, who was the backup last year, who was incredible for, for Everett. Um, yeah, it's tough. So we're going to move on to the forwards and I'm just going to list them off real quick and, and we'll touch on a few of them because uh, you know, we've, we've both had a chance to see some of these guys um, recently and live. Uh, but uh, the, the, the 17 forwards in camp and, and we believe they'll take 14. So three of these guys will get cut. Maddie Beniers, Brett Burrard, Thomas Bortolo, Logan Cooley, Matt Coronado, Tanner Dickinson, Dominic James, Matthew Nyes, Chaz Lucius, Carter Mazur, Declan McDonald, Sasha Pastajov, Dylan, Mc- Dylan Peterson, Mackie Samuskevich, Red Savage, Landon Slaggart, and Ty Smolonic. Um, and of those guys, only Dominic James was not in the summer camp. He's the only player, uh, only skater because neither Silverstein nor Pavisic were in the summer camp either, but the only skater that was not in camp. Um, and he is kind of like just a, a gritty heart and soul player uh, with speed. He's got a lot of jump. Um, if he's going to make the team, it's going to probably be in a fourth line role. Um, but I think it's going to be tough for him to, to unseat some of these guys. But interestingly enough, a couple of the guys that didn't have an amazing summer camp that I just want to point out are, are uh, Sasha Pasajov, who's been one of the top scorers in the OHL this year, playing for Guelph. Um, Declan McDonald, who was kind of up and down, uh, but he plays his way back on. Dylan Peterson was kind of on the fringe. And Ty Smolanik, who who's at Quinnipiac, who's been one of the best teams in the country this year. Um, so very interesting group there. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, basically, you know, the returnees are, are Landon Slager, Matty Beniers, and Brett Berard. That's it. So the rest of it's going to be a new forward course. So no Trevor Zegers, no Cole Caulfield, you know, no Alex Turcott, no Arthur Kaliev. It's a completely different team up front. Um, as you look at that list, what are your initial thoughts in terms of summarizing that forward group? What do you see maybe based on what you've seen this year and what you know of these players, what Team USA has up front? Well, the one thing I, I would say is I love the Dominic James edition. Uh, I don't know if he's going to make the team, but sometimes I think uh, when they get into the World Juniors, USA Hockey and Hockey Canada are so hyper-focused on where a guy gets drafted, you know, and I realize those are the top prospects generally, but sometimes there's some really good players who don't get drafted or maybe, you know, in, in, you know, a few years ago, they took, uh, who is the bulldog defender, uh, Perunovic. I want to say they took him before drafted at the time. And that was a great pick. Like he was kind of off the board and ended up being great. Now, Dominic James is a different type of player, but he's been really good for them. He plays center. Um, he, he was on the third line with Biondi and um, uh, I can't remember who else was on that line offhand. I'm losing my mind here, but uh, that line has been the biggest surprise for Minnesota Duluth this year. You talk to people there, they've been saying that's actually the Bulldogs first line. They've been the best line. And James has come kind of out of nowhere. He didn't have these, great numbers in the ushl or anything but he was really really good a couple weeks ago here in grand forks and so he's kind of off the radar and when i saw his name on there i'm i was kind of like are they they are watching usa hockey is watching they didn't just go by where guys got drafted and they, they you know so i think that's good to get him in there and see how he fares at least you know absolutely absolutely i think dominic james was a guy that i i put um after seeing him at the at the icebreaker and saying okay this this is a guy and really part of that is because there's some question about you know that last that last center position you've got maddie beneers and thomas bordolo locked in um you figure that red savage is going to be there i'm pretty sure tanner dickinson will be the other center um you know and then so it's up could be a competition between Savage and James might end up taking both of them. Um, all of a sudden now you've got a better PK unit. You've got better, you know, you've got better uh, options for you. And, and Savage only got into one or two games at the, at the summer camp this year, because he was coming off of a, an injury or an illness. I can't remember which, and he was able to get in um, and, and impressed in the one game that he played or the two games that he played. But, you know, it's very interesting to see a guy like that kind of come out of nowhere, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, especially, you know, sometimes those guys, they'll have had some sort of indication, like they played at a world junior a challenge or they, you know, they did something and, and James is really just kind of completely off the board. And he's such mm-hmm. a, a unique guy, a, a guy from Plymouth, Michigan, who plays for Minnesota Duluth. You don't see that very often seeing a Michigan guy go out, go into Minnesota that way. Um, but really he's been an outstanding player for them. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I'd say that the only there are a couple things that, that kind of came up. The number one guy that has been popping up in my mentions on Twitter is Jacob Perot, who is a first round pick of the Anaheim Ducks, dual Canadian U.S. citizen. Before the roster came out, I had heard his name as a possibility um, because basically Jacob Perot said, I want to play for the U.S. Turns out, based on my reporting now is that it's not believed he would have been eligible to play for the U S based on the double IHF regulations. He is eligible to play for Canada. 
Um, there was also some question as to whether Anaheim would even loan him because he's been a point per game player at the AHL level. Unfortunately, it does not look like he will be eligible. And I think he would have been a guy that would have helped this USA roster had he been available. And I'm sure that they would have taken him if uh, if he would have been available. But it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Um, he hasn't played two consecutive years in the U.S. So he did play two consecutive years in Canada, playing for the Sarnia Sting. Um, even though his family has had residents in the U.S., his dad Yannick, who is a former NHLer, played um, in the NA, yeah, uh, lives in. Lives and works for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, didn't matter. His younger brother is actually at the NTDP right now on the U17 team. So, you know, there are connections with USA Hockey, but unfortunately it doesn't look like it's going to work out for, for Jacob Perot uh, to, to make it in here and, and play for Team USA. And then the other guy that I that kind of surprised me only a little bit, not a lot because he's an underage player, um, is Rucker McGordy, who's having a phenomenal year for the National Team Development Program. That been one of their top scorers this year, even though he's missed time with an injury um, and was dominant at the most recent Five Nations tournament for the U18s. But all in all, I don't think that there were any guys from like, this is ridiculous. You know, I, I really don't see that in this on this forward group. No Kyle Connors this year. No, <laughs> no. And I think that, I think that that's just one where it's like, sometimes you just can't overthink it. And, yeah, the, and the one guy that like kind of jumps out, like sure. Rob isn't overly large up front. Like they have two guys on the roster who are mm-hmm. over right now. And one of them who I just saw this last weekend was Matthew Nyes from Minnesota. And he he's, you know, to me, I, I know Minnesota had that crop of freshmen who are all kind of, you didn't know who was going to emerge. Like you have Nyes and Huglin and um, Tristan Bros, And it's like, which guy and Nyes just jumps off the page. He does. He's big. He's skilled. He can skate. Like he's certainly appears to be the guy there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's going to play a a gigantic role on this team. Legit power forward does not get pushed around at all. The pride of Phoenix, Arizona. (laughs) Um, You know, I, I mean, he's, he's, he is to me, so he had a statement camp in the summer and every weekend that I've particularly, I've, I've seen him play live once outside of the camp setting, physically dominant against Wisconsin, you know, sc- scoring goals. He's got a great shot. And this is a Toronto Maple Leafs pick in the second round. I had a, a buddy of mine who, who scouted um, junior hockey. He was like, I'm telling you right now, Matt Nyes is a first round talent all day. Hmm. And he sure looks like it now. He went uh, mm-hmm. 57th, or I'm look, making sure I'm, yeah, 57th overall. Mm. Yeah. So uh, lower than I had I, him ranked personally, but that could but, be a, quite the pick there. I yeah, think. absolutely. I mean, I think that the other thing I wanted to point out too is, you know, Maddie Beneers is, is both the spiritual and offensive leader mm-hmm. of this team. Um, he is going to be their number one center. He's going to play a ton. He's going to be on, you know, an all situations guy. Um, and, and, you know, he was injured for the summer camp. He didn't need to be there anyway. He got drafted second overall that not, that next morning, he was on a plane to Plymouth, even though he knew he wasn't going to play, he wanted to be around this team. Um, and that's why I think, you know, he, and between him and Sanderson, you're, you've got your captain right there. And those two guys are, are going to be excellent leaders. Brett Berard, a returnee, uh, having a phenomenal season at Providence right now. New York Rangers prospect, picked in the fifth round, 134th overall. 
And he just plays with such a motor and tenacity um, that the size just doesn't matter. He's five listed at five, nine, one sixty three. not a big guy, but boy, does he get after it physically. Um, and then another returning Landon Slagger, who is probably, you know, even though he's a returning guy, I don't foresee him being like a top nine player. I see him being more of that grind, um, just grimy player that just is a bear to play against and, and, and helps you down your lineup. So uh, very fascinating to see what happens there. One of the guys that I wasn't 100% sure if we would see is Chaz Lucius, uh, first-round pick of the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you just saw him against uh, North Dakota. He's been injured. I didn't get to see him play at Wisconsin, and he also missed the end of the camp because he was injured there. This is a guy that has had a real hard time staying healthy, uh, but you just saw him. What did you think of, of uh, Chaz Lucius in the last meeting with North Dakota? Yeah, he he, uh, he definitely had his chances. I, you know, He scored a goal. Um, on Saturday night on a, kind of a backdoor tap in on a six on five situation. Uh, but, you know, he, he plays on a scoring line. He's he, they have him sitting uh, in, in the circle uh, for one timers on the top power play unit. Uh, so clearly on a team that has quite a bit of talent, they think he's ready to play a centering role on that power play and on a scoring line, even though he has missed injury. I thought that was a pretty big statement. Uh, by the Gopher coaching staff to to throw him right into the um, biggest roles they have for him. So uh, I, I think he's a I know he's a guy that scouts really love his shots, really love his scoring ability. Um, he he had a couple chances earlier in the game and didn't finish, you know. But uh, um, you could see why they like him. He on Friday night uh, he uh, pulled off the rare feat. He, I think he might be the first person all year who has kind of walked Jake Sanderson on the play. Um, and when, when that happens, you're like checking the number and saying, who was that? Okay. Um, he, so he's, you can see the skill there and I, I, I get why they, they have him on the team. And I think he's got a good chance to make it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's uh, that skill level. I just don't think that you can leave it off, especially when you can bring, um, you know, 15 or 14 forwards. Uh, yeah. into the mix. I think that that, or, I mean, you could bring 15 if you want, if you only want to bring seven defensemen, but you know, that's, that's uh, going to be really interesting. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think Chaz, it's good to see him healthy and playing. And, and the other thing is too, is when you're constructing a team like this, you have to think about, you know, if this player or that player didn't make it, who do you take out? Right. Who do you take out? And, and that was the thing where I think for like a Rutger McGordy not being there, who would I have taken out? And really, I don't see a ton of guys. You know, Declan McDonald has, has had a pretty decent season. He can play a variety of roles. Um, and then, you know, you, you but, you know, does Rucker McGroarty fit into the bot, you know, the fourth line? No. Can he play in then your top nine? Maybe not. So I think that that's, that's something to, to be aware of. And, um, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see where the goals ultimately will come from. I think you've got an elite playmaker in Thomas Bordalo. You've got, you know, a, a, a kind of the, the great two way forward in, in veneers, but that's why you have, you know, uh, you have Nyes who, who can score. You have, uh, you have Chaz Lucius that we just mentioned. And then also, you know, Sasha Pastajov who did not have a good camp and, and there's still questions. Can he keep up? Can he play at the pace necessary he is a dominant scorer in the OHL right now. And I have to tell you, the difference between being a great player in the OHL and being a great player in the World Juniors is pretty significant. Um, 
that's one thing that you don't, it's, it's the same from college being a great player in college and the world juniors is basically a step below the NHL in terms of the quality of play. Um, it's some, you know, so it's just, it's, it's nuts. It's, it's absolutely nuts. So I think, uh, I think that this will be real interesting to, to see what happens um, with the forward group, how it gets put together. Um, you know, I think we talked about Dominic James, Red Savage. I think Dylan Peterson um, and Landon Slagger, those are all guys in the mix for that fourth line. Kind of, can they be there? Um, so I'll be really fascinated to see. But, you know, I think this team, this team is not going to be as good as last year's team just by sheer, by sheer numbers and, and the fact that the goaltending is not Spencer Knight. The top forwards are not Trevor Zegers or Cole Caulfield or, or, or any of those guys that they had last season that were dominant, but they have a very, very good team and certainly a metal contender. Um, so we will watch and, and wait to see what happens there. Uh, Brad, I did get some some World Junior related questions that I want to get to before we move on. I got these on mm-hmm. Twitter. I put out a, a call um, and and the first one is, comes from Benjamin Weiss, and he wants to know why is Jack Hughes from Northeastern not on the invite roster? And I don't know if you've seen much of Northeastern this year. Uh, I have only seen a little bit and I have watched specifically to watch for Jack Hughes because he is draft eligible this year. Um, I just don't see if there's a single center on this group that I would have taken out for him. Um, He, you know, last year he was injured for a good chunk of the season and he just, he has not quite been the same. I think there was a lot of belief at at the national team program that he was going to be a legit high draft pick this year. And I think there's, there's a chance, you know, he's been good for Northeastern. He hasn't been amazing. Um, I think he's good, just not world junior good at this point. So that's the short answer to this. This one is specifically directed to you and it comes from our pal Guy Flaming from the pipeline show, considering the number of returning players to the United States has this year, but countering with the pretty average group of netminders, what kind of pizza would you both recommend one orders to feel full tonight, but not bloated tomorrow? And he shared a picture of you eating your pizza schloss hashtag schlossing with Dave Haxtall. <laughs> Got any, well, I mean, what's a good pizza? I mean, he should be the guy that's in, it's in Alberta. He's got to know what the, what the go-tos are. Uh, yeah. So gee, we need your recommendations. Cause I'm going to be yeah, in Red Deer. Do. Yeah, I need you. I, I do. I mean, <laughs> uh, otherwise it's got to be thin crust, right? Like you got to absolutely. So you don't want it. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> I know there's a Boston pizza right outside my hotel, so that's probably where it's going to be. Um, but yeah, so I uh, didn't know. Yeah, I love that in Canada you can get a Boston pizza, um, which <laughs> is not a thing. Um, anyway, uh, this one comes from Harry Oren Wood. Uh, he asked, do any of these U.S. players have a shot at the Olympics? Now, no, but <laughs> there is a gigantic but here. And I think this may have been what Harry was alluding to. There is a contingency probably necessary at this point. I think we have to talk about that. There is, as the NHL cancels more games, as more teams have to shut down games, the calculus changes for whether or not the NHL goes to the Olympics. So how does that work? That would be fascinating. And you get into a lot of different uh uh questions that would have to be asked if the NHL doesn't go. And they want to take, we, we, we remember a few years ago, uh, four years ago that, uh, Kale McCarr said, no, yeah. he wants to stick with UMass that year. 
can guarantee you if they want to take uh, if, if the NHLers don't go that guys like Owen Power, Jake Sanderson, um, Baneers, uh, those guys' phones will be ringing, um, you know, but, uh, will they go? Uh, that's another question. You know, um, we, like, like I said, we saw what Kale McCarr said, Hey, not going to, you know, leave my college team for a month and, and take off. And so, uh, yeah. You know, I, I think we all hope the NHLers will be there because we know the players want to play, the fans want to see them. Um, but uh, time will tell uh, how how this all plays out in the next uh, three four weeks here. Absolutely, and it's 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 crazy. It's it, you know like that this can happen. And one thing that I think that the U.S. learned from their last Olympic roster, they needed more young players. Their best players were Troy Terry and Ryan Donato at that Olympics. They were the most, and the thing is, is that when you have good college players versus European pros, who's actually closer to the NHL? Those young college players. Some of those guys will be playing on NHL rosters the following season. Um, And and Troy Terry and Ryan Donato were outstanding. And Jordan Greenway as well uh, was very good. He wasn't quite as effective as the other two. Um, but as you see that, and you know, yes, you know, that Russia is going to have a team full of KHL players, you know, that the, you know, the other teams will as well. Uh, but that's why, yeah. And I think if I, I bet you any money, if, if Matty Beniers was asked to go to the Olympics, he would say yes. Um, but also at the same time, Michigan has a chance to win a national championship this year. So do you disrupt that after having already disrupted it for the world juniors? It is that, and, and really for Kale McCarr, really mature decision on his part back then. As uh, I've got my neighbor's dog peering through the window at me, uh, not sure where the owner of said dog is, but anyway, sorry, that was a little distracting. Dog um, has some questions for the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I would like to know something. Um, so, yeah, but we'll 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 have to address that. That is another bridge to cross when we get to it. But I, I would say that you would see if the NHL does not go, I do think you'd see more college players making that roster for team USA. Okay. This one comes from Chad Balcom. Seems like every year we talk about the U S approaching this roster. Like you're building a club team, specifically planning a third and fourth line. Canada takes the best guys available and lets the chips fall where, where they will. Do you see the U S taking the often criticized approach? So, uh, you know, I, uh, the, the one thing I would say offhand is, uh, you know, since, John Carlson's shot went in 10, 11 years ago. The U.S. has won more golds in the World Junior than Canada has, which is no small feat considering the past. And so uh, I think that is uh, substantial. And I I do think there is something to having guys who uh, play certain roles for them. And they have had guys that have fit uh, the pieces and it hasn't been perfect. They've made some roster mistakes. Uh, however, uh, I think if you were to say, <laughs> you know, come into 2010 and say, uh, U.S. can win five golds in the next, uh, what, 11, 11 or 12 world juniors, would you take it? I mean, USA hockey would have come running. And, and take <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, they clearly they've had a lot of success and I, I do, I do like a lot of the things they've done with their, uh, roster makeup. Yeah. And I would say that there is. There is- a, a big difference right now between 
the way that U.S. rosters were built before and how they're built now, they they still want guys to play roles. But the thing that has shifted is the players that are playing those roles are much more versatile than they've ever been. Um, sure. So you've got a guy like a Red Savage, who's one of the top players for the university or for Miami University, and he's going to be a fourth, you know, would at best be a fourth liner on this team. Um, but you, why do you have him? Because of his speed, because of his ability to kill penalties. You know, you're not sending. Chaz Lucius over the boards to kill a penalty. It's just not typically how it's going to work. So you need guys that are comfortable in those positions. And I'd say that the, the it's also shifted. It's there's not a top six, bottom six. There's a top nine and a checking line. And the checking line is still has the ability to score. You look at the checking line last year, and it was Bobby Brink and Brett Berard, like and and John Farinacci. Those guys could play. They can score. They actually did score quite a bit. So, you know, and, and then, and they won a gold medal and you look at the 2013 team, you have Cole Bardreau, Blake Pedala, and, uh, and uh, Ryan Hartman, who is now like scoring at will, <laughs> but that was their, and they called themselves the grind line. And you can, you can ask anybody that says we don't win the gold medal without that group. So I think where, where you get into trouble is when the U S decided that Scott Eanser was a better option than Kyle Connor. When you, when you, when you lose sight of the fact that we still need X amount of top players, um, then you, you still, you still bring those guys, but you have to have players that can do multiple things. The nice thing about this group is that you still have Maddie Beneers who can kill penalties for you. You have Thomas Bortolo who can do just about everything. And, and despite his size is one of the best face-off men I've covered i mean honestly it's it's ridiculous how many face-offs that kids went that kid wins um and so you know you've got guys that can do the things for you so i don't think that they pick teams that way anymore i don't think they're looking for a shutdown pairing defensive they're looking for guys that can do it all and it just so happens that some of those guys play roles better whereas and there are a lot of guys out there that don't that that either are just a top six or a top nine guy and you say if he can't play in this group he can't be on our fourth line and I think that's fair. All right. We've got one more question on the world juniors and then we're going to move on. And I think we'll, we'll go straight to the, the college stuff, Brad, cause I've kept you longer than I planned to, but uh, g- given that the USA is lacking some elite talent up front in comparison to years past, are you surprised they didn't invite more presumed 2022 first round picks from the NTDP? And I'll, I'll divert to you first. And then I, I, I will, I will answer as well. I think that's a decent question. I, you know, just cause I, I know that they think very highly of that group and, and they, they think that group uh, is going to be special, but it is tough uh, as uh, young players, you know, I, we've seen it in the past. Um, even some of the hiring guys that, uh, you know, try to play up, uh, it's not always an easy go. So, um, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, interesting question just because I, I know they do love that group a lot. Um, but it is a tall ask. It is. It is. And I think, especially when you don't have very many returning players, you want to look at, you know, the, the older guys, potentially um, the, the, this year's group, there's a lot of, there's a, quite a few Oh threes, but it's mostly Oh twos. And then there's only one Oh four Logan Cooley, who I think is going to be a top six forward on this team. So, you, you know, I would say, I don't think there was a single defenseman that was on that U 18 team that would be able to unseat any of these guys. You know, they've all played very well. 
but you have guys that can do it. You also would give up a ton of size if you did it that way, because they don't have a very big blue line on that U18 team. Um, you know, they, they did want to have on this roster. He would have been there, Charlie Stramel, but he's injured and not able to play. He's not draft eligible until 2023. He was one of the best forwards in their camp last year and basically locked himself into the roster, um, until unfortunately he had to have surgery and it was out for the first half of the season. So very unfortunate for him, but you know, I, I think if, if you are digging deep into the O four class, you're not going to have as much success, especially when you have options in the O2s and O3s that fill all the needs that you do. I think there's a little bit, they're, they're not quite as dynamic as last year, but they still have guys. I mean, Matt Coronado was a top scorer last year. Um, you know, as Bordalo, I mentioned, Cooley's going to be a major offensive presence. Nice, Lucius, um, you know, if Passajob makes it, Mackie Samuskevich, you know, they have plenty of talent in that group. It's just a matter of, um, you know, getting it all to come together and, yeah, I, I, it's a good question, though, because that NTDP team has been phenomenal this season. Absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to see them on Thursday when they play Wisconsin. And if I there are no odds for that game, but if there were odds, I would probably put, you know, the favorites as the U18 team at this point. Um, that's how good they've been this season. They've beaten some legit D1 teams this year. All right. We're going to move on to college at this point. And uh and so I would say that, um, you know, for, for the college season that we've had, you, you know, been watching every weekend, anybody can win. It's, it feels like anybody, it is anybody's year. I feel like the parity is higher than it's even been normally. And you, the, the great thing is, is that we've actually seen top teams play each other a lot. Um, you know, there have been a lot of top 10 matchups this year, and there'll be more this year, uh, coming up with, you know, uh, North Dakota and St. Cloud state that you're going to get a chance to see this weekend. But I mean, as of right now, do we know who's good? Do we, do we have a real good handle on who the best yeah. teams are? Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the parody thing, I, the one thing that's, it, it's been increasing for a few years. I think that's been a trend over, you know, uh, you know, the last 20 years, uh, gradually but the the big thing this year is the fifth year seniors now now all of a sudden the ncaa did not count last season against anyone's eligibility so now all these seniors can come back and now you have all these kids going to the transfer portal and everyone got older for example this is the you know i I cover the nchc mainly so let's use this as a frame of reference but i'm guessing the same trend goes for every league this is the smallest freshman class that has ever come into the NCHC. Um, and we're talking by a decent margin. Um, and why is that? Because these teams brought back their seniors and decided to have some of their recruits play an extra year of junior. So now all of a sudden, every team's getting older and every team was able to patch up some of their deficiencies by getting transfers. And so that's, I think, why you have more parity. For example, the team I cover, North Dakota, they lost 14 guys last year, over half their roster. Usually that spells trouble for the next year. It's just, I don't care how talented you are, you take out half of a team's roster, you take eight guys who signed NHL contracts on one team, and that can be trouble. But North Dakota, instead of bringing in 14 freshmen and probably some guys who aren't ready to play college hockey, they could go out and pick out a couple of transfers and some 23 year old guys 
who have been around the block and been in college hockey and don't need that two-year adjustment period. They've already made that. And so I think now all of a sudden, North Dakota's top 10 team in the country. And what, you know, the, the senior transfer and the transfer certainly helped them address some of their deficiencies. And I think other teams were able to do the same thing. And now all of a sudden you have all these teams that were able to have great answers for their, to patch up some holes and you have so much parity across the country. So I think that's, what's led to it. And, you know, I, I, I think we have some idea on the, who, who the good teams are. The, the thing is, is that the good teams and the teams that aren't going to make the tournament, not as much separates them because right. those teams are also pretty good as well. And I look at the conference I cover there, there are six teams in this league who are really good. So like one of these teams is going to finish sixth place, like third to last. And it's like, I look at it and I'm like, this is going to be a really, really good team. So um, it, it is a loaded year, I think. Um, and, you know, especially out West where we've seen some pretty deep teams. Yeah. It, it basically the upper Midwest is where just everybody is right now because you've mm-hmm. got Minnesota state, which in their, in their shutout, they split with Lake Superior state this weekend. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the second game, they gave up five shots on goal the entire game. I was like, is this right? Is this wow. accurate? So Dryden McKay, who has, you know, essentially a million shutouts in his career, had to face five shots. <laughs> I was like, that is... are you kidding me? So anyway, but that's but that's how good they defend. And then you got or how well they defend. And then you got St. Cloud State, you got Minnesota State, North Dakota, Western Michigan, Michigan, Minnesota Duluth. So we're all kind of in that Great Lakes region here, uh, Great Lakes upper Midwest kind of situation. And um, you know. There are a lot of teams, you can't discount what Quinnipiac has done, 10-1-3 and three so far this season. Omaha hasn't had a very tough schedule, but they're 11-3 and three and scoring a ton of goals. Um, Providence is a very underrated 12-5, and five in a, in a, and they've played a very difficult schedule to date. You know, they played against Minnesota State and played against Minnesota Duluth. So they've had some really difficult games um, on their schedule so far. But yeah, there's just a lot. You look at everybody. There's not a whole lot of teams that are have have kind of survived. Cornell's eight and one, um, you know, just basically getting started. Uh, you know, there and then there's really, you know, there are only a few teams that have been like really, really poor. St. Thomas one and fifteen, Maine one and ten, Brown one and seven, Yale one and six. But most of the other teams are finding ways to win games against quality opponents and. Um, it's just, it's, it's bananas to watch this year. Is there anything that has surprised you? Any players, any teams, any trends that have surprised you this season? Well, I'll, I'll, for, first of all, I think one, one thing that jumps out to me is that Quinnipiac can't seem to crack into the top one or two in the poll. And I think that's strictly based on they haven't played a super difficult schedule. Right. I don't want to play the bad schedules. They have not. Um, but I, I think... Uh, I've seen them. North Dakota went out there. I thought over the two games, I saw them. They're the best team I've seen North Dakota play this year. And I've seen North Dakota play Denver, Minnesota, and Minnesota Duluth. Um, If you look at some of the games they've played, not only their results, but look at the shot totals. They've outshot every team they've played, all 14. In 12 of the 14, they've outshot their opponent by double digits. Their shots on goal against North Dakota, they held North Dakota the 16 the first night, 19 the second night. 
It was 28, 16, 36 to 19. They outshot BC 33 to 19. They outshot North Northeastern 31 to 19. Um, they, you know, they're, they're not allowing a lot of shots. They, they've got, I think that's a really, really good team. I think they're the best team out East. I think they're probably a frozen four team. And, you know, I think when people start seeing them, they're going to see how good they are and how deep they are. So that's one. Um, I, my surprise out West, I would say to this point is Minnesota Duluth. I thought that the Bulldogs would struggle offensively. Um, you know, they didn't generate a ton of offense last year. Their, their blue liners are not super offensive. Wyatt Kaiser can add some offense, but their other guys are kind of more defensive. And I thought last year they had some really high end forwards that were able to get by and give them enough offense. Like, uh, Kepke was fantastic. Jackson Cates had a great year. Swainy had a great year. They lose all three of those guys. Um, and now all of a sudden you're like, Noah Cates is going to be good. I think Roth and Bender are going to be a little bit good. They added Casey Gilling out of the transfer portal from Miami, but really there's not much depth there. Well, what happened is Biondi took a huge jump for them. Like Biondi, uh, we talked about Dominic James and like there, that line has been great. And that's why they've been able to produce enough. But I, my, I didn't know if they would produce enough offense this year to, to be a, a top, you know, six, eight team where they're currently at. Um, actually, they're number one in the poll, aren't they? <laughs> they are right um, now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think they would, but so far they have. Yeah. They, they had a couple games recently. They didn't score in 60 minutes against CC. They didn't do it against Fairbanks. Granted, they, they were missing a ton of players from injury and illness against Fairbanks. So, I mean, you can kind of maybe throw that one out the window a little bit, but um you know, I, I thought they would have more nights where they didn't have enough offense and they really have been able to get by. And, and so, and that's largely due to the emergence of guys like uh, Beyondy and low height and James. And yeah. Quinn Olson, another one. That's Quinn cool. Olson. Yeah. He's, that's, that's the guy on that guy line that I'm yeah, missing. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn Olson's the guy who was missing on that line. Who's had a great year as well. So yeah, that's been one of my big surprises. Yeah, it's been it's been a really interesting year to watch. I've been able to see quite a few of the top teams already. Um, there were so many of them at that at that uh, icebreaker that I was at, um, where Dominic James apparently earned his World Junior roster spot. But yeah, I mean you've you've actually gotten to see even more. And you know, one of the teams that I know you haven't had a chance to see yet uh, is Michigan, but they've aside from maybe a game here or there, they've largely lived up to expectations. Um, and you look at the top of the scoring leaderboard right now, it's all mostly from the state of Michigan. Although Drew Warad of Western is the leading scorer in the nation with 25 points in 14 games coming out of nowhere. Um, I just really quickly, just to give Drew a quick shout out. He had 23 points in 25 games last season. He's already set a career high in just 14 games this season. A big reason that Western is as good as they have been. Um, but interesting story too, by the way. Well, let's hear it. Dr Drew Warad last year, he was, he was stuck in Ontario all summer and everything was shut down. He couldn't work out at all. He didn't, he wasn't able to work out. He wasn't able to skate nothing. And he came in and he was way behind the eight ball when he, he got into start skating with the team and he went out and led them in scoring. So I think their coaching staff was like, if this guy let us in scoring without being able to really work out, I mean, he tried to do some things on his own, but like 
he had a tough situation to get prepared for last season. And now all of a sudden he was able to prepare for this season. So I think the Western coaches kind of saw this coming. They were, they were saying, look out if this guy did this last year with his season preparation, wait till you see him this year. And they're right. Yeah. Just incredible. Great aside too. And really, you know, Pat Fershweiler and, and the staff at, at Western Michigan have done a phenomenal job this season. Ethan Frank is also on, on Western is the leading goal scorer in the country with 15. Um, you know, they've gotten good, good goaltending from Brandon Bussey. It, it, it is a team to be reckoned with right now. And, and they have played a really hard schedule. And one of their toughest series was against the University of Michigan. They actually took a game at Yost and then lost the home game of that series. But as I get back to the national statistics Owen Power is number two in the country right now with 23 points number one overall pick is on pace to have one of the better seasons of any defenseman in college hockey in recent memory um, Kent Johnson is tied with him his teammate 23 he has 19 assists in uh, 16 games and then, you know, you look down, down the list for Michigan and they have so many players producing at a high level, Maddie Beneers, um, of course. And you've also had uh, Brennan Bersan really jump up in his scoring. He's taken a huge step forward as a player. Um, you know, they've gotten the goaltending as well. Eric Portillo has been very good with a 920 save percentage. Um, you know, just looking, they have uh, multiple players in double digit points, including Mackie Samuskevich, Nick Blankenberg, who I, I really like as a defenseman. Uh, he's got seven goals um, in, in very well, could be a, a guy that, that looks, has maybe gets an NHL deal as a college free agent. Luke Hughes, who we talked about, has, has been above expectations for me as a true freshman, 15 points in 16 games for him. Thomas Bortolo, 17 and 16. Maddie Beneers, 19 and 16, Brennan Brisson, 19 and 16. So, I mean, you know, you've got five guys averaging better than a point per game um, on your roster. They have been legit. Yeah, I think they've uh, definitely lived up to expectations uh, so far. Um, they've uh, produced a lot and uh, it'll be a, a great weekend this weekend as they play Minnesota and the two teams that are picked to finish one, two in the big 10. Absolutely. And we've got, we've got, you know, it's just, it's been a, it's been a fun year. I think it's been a lot of fun to track. I think there's been a lot of, of really interesting things. And before we go, um, I am just going to uh, circle back to the Omaha situation. Cause we both reported a bit on it. You know, we've, we've been around, we've seen junior hockey. Um, we've seen a lot of stories over the years, um, you know, this and that, but, this has been one of the more bizarre ones that I've, I've covered. And I know that you were um, certainly involved in covering this as well. I mean, what are, what are some of your thoughts coming out of what happened? And we still don't really know where it's going to go from here. I, I think the biggest thing to me um, when you get into the, the junior hockey world now is if you are an owner, general manager of a team, uh, it's a new era now. Um, you know, you better, uh, treat the players well. Um, and you know, I, I think the players understand the power they have and this can happen if, if you, uh, you know, uh, players can just decide they don't, they're not going to play on the weekend if, uh, if things go awry. And I think that that's a message that every, uh, owner, 
and GM in junior hockey has to be taking to heart that uh, there is uh, a lot riding on doing the right thing, treating players well, because, uh, you know, it's not the old uh, situation where uh, they dictate to the players and they're just going to fall in line. If you do the wrong things, uh, they're going to do what they want as well. So um, that, that was one takeaway for me is that the, the players understand the power they have uh, and they're going to uh, try to affect change. And now I know you've been reporting today, there could still be some more fallout that players could be on the move. Right. Uh, and we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. You know, just to update everybody, when things kind of went all haywire and the USHL had to take over, um, the roster was essentially locked. They didn't want anybody on or off. I believe two players did leave for their, their high school teams in Minnesota. So they were able to go um, and Minnesota high school teams, not actually part of USA hockey. So that uh, is part of the reason why that was so easy for them to, to move on to. But I think, I think some of it was already pre-planned anyway. Um, but then now there is the opportunity for the players to get traded um, before all this mess came out into the public. There were a lot of people working behind the scenes to try to get players out of Omaha uh, by, by trade. And that is one way that teams can, you know, I think in the USHL, if, if a player asks for a trade for this reason or that reason, um, the team will try to accommodate that player. Not all the time, but you know, if, if it's, if there's a valid reason for it, they might um, now the, you know, the team is under league stewardship essentially. So uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. We still don't know the results of the, the investigation that was done. Just the investigation was being done. It sounds like many, many people were contacted by the investigator and that the, the due diligence is being done. Um, we can only hope that the league will come out publicly with all of that as well. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it, you know, it's sad because, and, and again, like the, I think I want to make it very clear. There weren't as as far as we know, there weren't any crimes committed here. There weren't any, there weren't any, it's, it wasn't an issue of legality. It's more just an issue of ethics. When you're, when you're dealing with players that you don't pay, whose futures you hold in your hands. Mm. That's the thing. And, and as you mentioned, the players now have a voice and they've, they've shifted the power dynamic by speaking up and using the little leverage that they do have which is to play games and, and to say, no, we're not going to, unless this changes. Um, hopefully it changes for the best. There's so much more to learn from that, but Brad, before I get you out of here, anything, uh, what's, what's, what's coming up for you? Where can people find your work and, uh, and let everybody know, uh, what, what you're up to these days. Yeah. Uh, all my stuff, uh, on grandforksherald.com, um, where, uh, you know, I'll be, uh, covering North at St. Cloud State, great series this weekend. Next weekend, North Dakota goes out to Colorado College. I get to see Robeson Arena for the first time. Very excited about that. And you know, you know what else also works out great is I get into Colorado on Thursday, and that night uh, the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame induction uh, ceremony will be held in Denver. Going to try to get up there, cover uh, former North Dakota and Omaha coach Dean Blaze is one of the uh, guys going into the Hall of Fame on that night. So that should work out pretty nice and uh, have a lot of uh, stories uh, uh, coming up on that. And then, of course, uh, we'll be covering the World Juniors from afar, uh, which basically means I'm going to link to all of your work because it's much <laughs> 
I have going back to the old United States of Hockey blog. But no, we'll we'll follow uh, Tyler Clevin and Jake Sanderson on their journey. Um, and uh, before we know it, the second half starts January first. North Dakota hosts the U18s. Like we talked about, a lot of great prospects on that team. And then right after that, Cornell comes in here. You mentioned all the great non-conference series we've seen so far. It has been awesome so far. And uh, here's another one, uh, North Dakota, Cornell, East-West series. We don't get to see tons of those, and that should be uh, awesome. So, yeah, lots of coverage on some, uh, some great games and fun storylines coming up in the next month. All right. Well, Brad, I cannot wait to read all of that. Follow your work. It is invaluable to the work that I do as well, just to learn about what's happening in the world of men's college hockey and beyond. And I uh, thank you very much for joining me once again. And the first ever three-time yes. grand podcast champion of the world, Brad Schlossman. Thanks I'm, again, buddy. I'm going to go talk trash to Corey Pronman right now. <laughs> Once again, my thanks to Brad Schlossman for joining me on the podcast and always great to have him. Always great insight. And uh, yeah, he's he's just a, a great guy to talk to. I talk with him often and I figure I might as well share my conversations with him uh, with you because I enjoy them. And I think that uh, based on his two previous appearances on this podcast, you have also enjoyed that. So once again, thanks to Brad. All right. So. World Juniors coming up. Canada's roster is going to be coming out just after this publishes, so it'll be on Wednesday, their camp roster. Fully expect to see Owen Power and Kent Johnson from the University of Michigan on there. Um, and, boy, a lot, of, a lot of Michigan Wolverines likely to participate in the World Junior Championship. We'll see if some others, uh, uh, other collegiate players get on there. I don't think there are as many this year um, that will have a, a great chance, but still, those two guys for sure and maybe some others, but, you know, this is the most fun time of the year for me. I think it's one of the best times of the year to follow prospects. It's certainly one of the most, e one of the easiest ways to follow some of the players that your favorite team has drafted. And as I said in the podcast, it, the World Juniors isn't about potential. It isn't about what you're going to be as a pro. It's all about what can you do right now. And, and that is really the most important thing. So don't sweat it. If your favorite prospect didn't make it, I know that there was certainly um, some consternation among Senators fans not seeing uh, Tyler Boucher there, who was picked in 10th overall in the draft. And, and certainly Montreal Canadiens fans were wondering where Luke Tuck is, both at Boston University. Uh, Tuck has been injured most of the year. And, and I think, you know, uh, Boucher is still trying to find his way a little bit with BU and, and certainly disappointing that he's not on the roster. But that was not terribly, uh, that was not a terribly big surprise to me. Um, but yes, he will be eligible next year. Unfortunately, Luke Tuck will not be. Um, and you know, as his brother, Alex was on the world junior team one year and cut the next. So, um, you know, that's, uh, always an interesting one to see a guy that's a returnee, not make the team, but I think we'll see most returnees on the roster this year. Also, as we talked about a lot of, you know, craziness in college hockey, um, we will see more of that. I will certainly have Brad on again towards the end of the season as we get ready to preview the Frozen Four or the NCAA tournament. A long way to go before we get there. Plenty of time to get that going. But yeah, I think other than that, it's already been a long podcast. I think we covered a lot of ground, and I really do appreciate everybody that sent in questions. Also, um, everybody that has liked, rated, reviewed, uh, subscribed to the podcast, and those of you that have subscribed to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. And I am so glad 
that we have more hockey to talk about very, very soon. We'll continue to cover the World Junior buildup. You can catch a lot more coverage on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's hockeysense.substack.com. Uh, there will be a full USA roster breakdown uh, for the camp coming very soon, and I will do the same for Canada. So get ready. Lots of World Junior content coming your way there. Also make sure to check out dailyfaceoff.com where you can find at least two stories a week from me. Um, and also you can get my betting tips on Betway, uh, and that's Betway Insider. So just search for me and Betway, and you can get my NHL picks twice a week on typically on Thursdays and Saturdays. So hope you guys enjoy that content. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's been a lot of fun to bring it to you, but that's going to do it for today. Thanks so much again. I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll catch you next time.